Thank you for joining me for your MMA scoop. This is Ray Zomopatsu. Thank you for joining me for this fourth episode of Ray's on my plot of soup. You guys know the Twitter handle, Dars underscore smokes. You guys can find my banter and rants on there 24-7. And I am joined today by one of MMA Twitter's very own Rory from the Unknown Room, from Middle Easy, from the Scrap News, the man with many accolades. Go ahead and drop your Twitter handle, Rory. Um, yeah, you can find me at, uh, Rory Rex. I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to spell it and I'm not going to spell it for you. Um, but yeah, yeah. it's, uh, I'm easy to find. Just type in Rory and there's like 12 of us in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's, he's a very easy man to find. He's one of the best followers on Twitter. Uh, I definitely appreciate all of his, um, uh, his little nuggets that he's dropping. So I appreciate him dropping in with me today and we're going to give you guys an excellent, Excellent breakdown of UFC Boston. Uh, first, we're going to talk about a little bit of the prelims. Not too much. We're going to talk about the entire main card. And then we are going to get into the meat of the main card. Like what happens to the, the Mr. Chris Weidman after this? What, what happens with Macy Barber? Like what are we doing? So, But before we get into that, my biggest takeaways from the prelims. I'm going to start with the Kevin Holland-Brandon Allen fight. No one gave Brandon Allen a chance in this fight. Kevin Holland was a favorite. He's kind of been looking very impressive in his, pa- in his past few UFC fights, if you ask me. Not too impressive, but you know he seems to be a tier above the guys that he's been fighting. And leading into this fight, there was nothing that would make you believe otherwise, uh, if you ask me. Um, me and Roy, we were talking a little bit before the podcast. He basically told me that, you know, he doesn't really care about a few of these fighters. He did include Kevin Holland in that in that batch. So what's what's up with Kevin Holland, Roy? Is he just not doing it for you? Uh, yeah. Um, but then again, like, I have uh, very specific things I look for. Uh, when it comes to like me actually being invested in somebody rather than just covering them. Yes. So there, there's not really, um, I can honestly say I'm not fans of a lot of fighters. Uh, I can appreciate the way that they fight and uh, I can take away some positives from what they do in there. But like, as far as am I going to go out of my way to search for them uh, as they like continue their career He's just not one of those guys for me where I'm just going to be like, hey, when's the next Kevin Holland fight? At least right. now, at least right now. Um, maybe that'll change one day later. But as of right now, no, I'm not. Into Got that. it. Well, I can understand that. That seems to be a huge problem with the UFC's, I guess, business plan in general. Like, how do they get people to watch these up and coming fighters who haven't quite made a name for themselves? Like, People are always going to watch the Conor McGregor's, the Nate Diaz's. I mean, even the Max Holloway's. But like you said, Kevin Holland, who's, you know, going to spend their early Saturday, Friday evening watching this guy. And I mean, I'll I'll spend my time watching it because, I mean, it's part of the requirements. But at the same time, um, 
I'll I'll even go on record and say that I don't believe it's the UFC's job to promote these people. I I truly believe it's themselves. Um, I think there's a lot of things Kevin Holland could do uh, to make us care about Kevin Holland. And it's not just a personal shot at him, but I feel like um, a lot of these fighters that are signed to you know the most prominent mixed martial arts organization in, in the entire world, um, everyone is looking at all of these people at any given time. So I feel like um, if you want people to care about you, there's different things that you can do to make that happen for yourself. Um, I look at yeah, I look at somebody like Israel Adesanya, um, and of course now he's getting the major push from the UFC. But I mean, when he first debuted, this dude was doing interviews with Complex. He was on uh, different podcasts. He was on Mm -hmm. all kinds of shows on different uh, different spaces of different marketplaces that the typical UFC fan is not usually visibly paying attention to. So. Izzy was making his name for himself and all these different cultural outlets and building his buzz up. And then different people like Charlemagne and like Andrew Schultz and like people in that space, Noriega, like these are the people that start caring about him. And so now they're talking about him on their platforms. And next thing you know, he's on hot 97 and then he's on the breakfast club and now he's national. And it's because he built himself up to be all this stuff and he had the skills to match. So I don't necessarily feel bad for fighters when they're underpromoted by the organization because mm. I feel like somebody as a journalist like myself um, or just somebody that's a part of Twitter making interactions with people, mm-hmm. if we have the ability to – like take Mac Malley, for instance. Shout mm-hmm. out to him. Mm-hmm. That guy literally – I mean he had a Twitter account, so he started from zero, right? Mm-hmm. Now the guy's literally one of the biggest – MMA personalities on Twitter. I can't think of anyone bigger. I think he's the biggest. There he is. He's selling fucking beef jerky to people. I don't even know what he's doing. If he wants Mm -hmm. to send me some, he can. But like, I'm looking at that and I'm like, this guy can market himself on this level. He, I don't, I don't know their follower accounts. He might have more than Kevin Holland. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, the man knew what he wanted to do and he marketed himself towards that and it's he's being rewarded for it. He didn't depend on someone else to do it for him. Right. No, so, I, I 100% agree. Um, I think you're right. I think that these fighters need to kind of walk that, that super fine line of, you know, promoting themselves outside of the octagon, but also backing it up inside the octagon. And... Uh, again, not to pick on Kevin Holland, but he just didn't do that this past weekend when he dropped a second round submission to Brandon Allen, uh, who is another up and just completely newcomer to the UFC. I, I'd never heard of him, but you know I know of him now because he definitely. Uh, I mean, he worked himself out of some very bad positions that Kevin Holland had him in, and he was able to transition into some very good positions. It was a it was a very interesting fight. We're not going to harp on that one for too long, though. Uh, the second prelim fight that I want to go ahead and draw attention to is uh, Mr. Boston Salmon had a lot of hype coming into this fight. Um, he was fighting in Boston, so I don't know if that, had, if that was just coincidentally done, um, but he was fighting Randy Costa, and Randy Costa came in there and just starched this man he was throwing these these sweet kind of delayed straight rights right down the pipe. Like he'd throw one and he'd almost look like he'd throw the left hook, but then he'd throw the right 
mm-hmm. straight right back down. And it was like, I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone use that personally. I mean, at least that effectively. Can you? Um, I can think of other Bantamweights. Like, uh, I've seen uh, Cody Garbrandt do stuff like that before. Um, I, I don't know. He's another guy, too, where it's like, I like everything he does, and I'll continue to watch him going forward. But um, I would like to see what he does in a division that, um, for me, is is my favorite division uh, in all of the UFC. So I'd like to see his progression and where he can, what what his ceiling can be. Yeah, no, I'm. I will definitely be uh, on the lookout for more Randy Costa fights. I feel like his stock went up after this past weekend. Uh, Moving right along, just to keep you guys rolling. We also had a decision win. Meatball Molly McCann beat Deanna Belbita. And that was a fun fight. Um, I'm big on Meatball Molly. I think that she has everything that you ask for in someone who could be a UFC star. Not superstar. She she has star potential. She she has the right mouthpiece on her, and she has the right work ethic in the octagon to to draw fans. As long as she keeps racking up dubs, how could you not like Meatball Molly? Well, the thing, what's going to be her issue, um, and I think we're going to start to see this more and more, is sometimes you can have everything that it takes to become a star. Um, in MMA and in the UFC, but you have to have that right foil. You have to have that right opponent. You have to have a a list of dangerous opponents in front of you. Mm -hmm. And so far for her, she hasn't really had, um, she's had big wins, but she hasn't had a marketable signature win. Um, And that's going to be tough to do in a new division with a lot of girls who um, a lot of casual people just don't know yet. Sure. So she's going to have to get in there with somebody where um, somebody that we all know and somebody that uh, is uh, on their way to that themselves or mm-hmm. already there. She's going to have to take out somebody established in a dominant way. Um, and Liverpool in the UF- <clears throat> Liverpool in the UK already love her. Yeah. So she doesn't have to worry about that. But, um, and yeah, she does have an exciting style. Yeah, but, no, I'm, but, I'm a believer. I'm a believer yeah. of the Meatball Molly hype train. Um, I, I At first I was very skeptical, uh, but after her last two fights, I, I want to see more of her. Um, unless you got any other words on that, we're going to push it, keep it pushing, buddy. Nah, I just want to see her uh, face uh, some top competition, see how she does there, and uh, see what goes happens from there. Absolutely. Uh, moving along, Charles Rosa beats Manny Bermudez via a first-round submission, Two, almost three minutes into the fight. Who had that coming? Who saw that coming? Um... That's another one, too, where he's been on a really weird path. Um, He's got some issues going on with his weight. And so, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see what's next for him. I I really don't know 
what's exactly going to happen. I think he's not even allowed to fight in that division in California Correct. anymore. So mm-hmm. he's going to have to figure out, I don't know if it's a lifestyle change or if, if he's just going to have to bulk up. But yeah, yeah. it, it got- seems like yeah he's just on a bad streak of inside and outside. It's it's not good, man. It's not good. It makes it actually breaks my heart because the guy, you know, he he just lost his last two fights. Before that, he was fourteen and one. Just had the world in front of him as far as potential in the feather or bantamweight division. And then, like you said, he loses or he misses weight against Casey Kenny. They have to make the bout a catch weight on short notice, and then he loses the fight. And then he comes in here at featherweight, so he's 10 pounds heavier, and he still can't quite get it. And, ah, when that happens, man, your stock drops so much. Like, I just don't know what to do with Manny Bermudez right now. And do you know if he does? I don't know if he uh, does any work with the P.I., but that place has seemed to be benefiting a lot of people that are having the same issues as he um, right now, so maybe he needs to get over there and start working with them exclusively because they've been putting people on some ridiculous plans and really changing their whole lifestyle approach. Um, he needs to figure out what division he belongs in, and then he needs to train accordingly. Um, right. Because obviously, um, bantamweight's not it. It's not and, it. It yeah, ain't so. it. Speaking of uh, someone with weight issues, we're going to go ahead and push right into the main card. Darren Stewart fights Deron Wynn and wins a decision victory. What did you think about this bout? Well, the main takeaways are those tattoos for sure um, <laughs> that Deron Wynn has. Um, yeah, that's that's my main takeaways. But also uh, with him, again, another guy that... I, I'm not really impressed by. Um, I really do. I don't like the comparisons to Daniel Cormier with him all the time, just because they're both short and they both wrestle. Uh, the 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 uh, the level, the intent, yeah, the level of wrestling is a lot different between Cormier and Win. Uh, it's not, these, it's almost yeah. not even comparable. Like yeah, like sure, he's a wrestler, but. When DC's in there, you're seeing like highest level of wrestling, in my opinion. And then when you got this guy in there, you're kind of just seeing, you know, basic UFC wrestling. You know, he, he looked like someone who wasn't chaining very well. He he was early, but as you know, the fight went on and his gas tank started to dwindle. He couldn't quite mix in his wrestling attacks the way that he needed to. And when you're <laughs> Five five fighting at 185 pounds, man. Gas tank should not be an issue. I'm sorry, it just shouldn't. Well, I think it's always going to be an issue when you're naturally probably around 230 pounds or something like that. He's a big guy, so for I, it probably has. It would be an interesting documentary documentary to see like what his weight cutting is like because he's not a small guy, and we've already seen him compete at huge divisions, whether it was whatever that golden boy thing was right. but but yeah he's not naturally um a small person so i mean losing weight like that of course it's going to affect your gas tank but 
I think his issues are going to have to be uh, pocket related. He's going to have to be able to throw and react in the pocket and fake those takedowns and still be able to come back with more shots after that, or else he's going to have a problem getting in close enough to even start attempting these takedowns. And he's got, um, he's got leg kick issues too that he has to worry about. Yes. Big time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not impressed with the Duran Wynn project so far. I mean, he's only had two fights in the UFC, so I could just be writing him off a little early. With that being said, Darren Seward, Stewart is no slouch. I'm glad to see him get the dub and go ahead and move up in the middleweight uh, contendership. Um, we're going to go ahead and push it right on into Jillian Roberson versus Macy Barber. First round TKO for Macy Barber. Tell me about that fight, Rory. Personally, I like both of these girls. Uh, a lot of people don't like Macy Barber. I've always liked her. Um, me too. Pe- people don't like her attitude. It doesn't bother me. Me too. Uh, so, um, I don't know. I know she has a goal in mind, and that goal is to become the youngest UFC champion ever. I don't know if that's going to happen, um, but I am definitely invested into seeing her attempt to do so. Um let me ask you this, because after the fight, and I, I agree, I am big on Jillian Roberson. I watched her come through the tough house, uh, and then her career in the UFC has been phenomenal. But Macy Barber, 21-year-old, she is phenomenal. What do you think about her call-out of Paige Van Zant? And do you think at this point in her career, Macy Barber is a bigger superstar or star than Paige Van Zant? Uh, I definitely don't think she's a bigger star than Paige Van Zandt uh, because Paige Van Zandt was on national television. So I think a, a lot of the times also in our MMA bubble, sometimes we get caught up in our circle. But I think there's a lot That's of times... That's your mic. Your mic might have pulled out or something. Did it? I don't know. It sounds a little funny, but it's okay. Oh, that up. Is it back? I can't tell. That's fine. Oh, okay. Um, I forget where I was at. Yeah, no. Um, Macy Barber, she, uh, she is definitely someone who I think she can reach that star potential. I agree. Paige Van Zant has had a little bit more time under her, uh, under the UFC, to go ahead and get her name out there doing the Dancing with the Stars thing. But man, Macy Barber is coming in here and she's finishing chicks in the first, second round. She's brutalizing them. Yeah, but if she wants to be a megastar, she's going to have to step her foot outside the octagon and do other stuff like that, too. And it's sad, but that's just the truth if she's trying to, you know, outshine Paige Van Zandt, not as far as, you know, doing her thing with her career in regards to just strictly if she's trying to outshine Paige in all those different ways. I think that's a a steep mountain to climb because um, people know Paige Van Zandt that don't even watch MMA. So it's going to be really tough for her to be um, a bigger star than her. But I also do not think that that's who she should be trying to fight anyway, at mm-hmm. least if she's trying to become the the youngest champion ever. Right. She should be looking upwards, not behind her. I, I personally think that fight does more for Macy than it does for Paige. Uh, so I, I can see why Paige doesn't want to fight uh, Macy Barber. Um, because like you said, Paige Van Zandt is a star. 
if she gets in that octagon, there are going to be people that watch that fight. And if Macy Barber starches her, then all of a sudden those fans transition over to Macy Barber's corner. Uh, I think that the fight should be made. I think it's a great resume builder. And then from there, you give Macy Barber some tougher opponents. But uh, but also at the same time, um, what's the what's the significance? Like, what does having Paige on Macy Barber's resume actually do for her at this point in Paige's career? She's not even a contender, right? So, it, to me, I it just gives her the eyes. It gets her the eyes that the Paige Van Zant name will bring to to the viewership. Um, really, that's it. Other than that, I don't believe it does anything for her rankings. Um, but you know, it would make her nine and zero, which is always nice. So. But it, it's also a tough sell when you're trying to be on this accelerated path to gold. Um, those two ideals just don't match. Wanting to fight Paige and also saying you want to be the youngest champion ever because time is running out. Time and is running like, out. And it's like beating Paige Van Zant is not guaranteed also, by the way. So that's if true. you if you're to lose that fight against somebody that's unranked, that sets you back. And it's like, it's definitely not a guarantee that Macy Barber will beat Paige Van Zandt. It's just not. Nobody can guarantee that. So it would be an interesting fight for her. But if she wants to do what she's saying she wants to do, she should be looking upwards. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, it definitely shakes up the flyweight division. Macy Barber, she's a great addition to this whole shenanigans. And I'm, I'm proud to see her do her thing. Uh, I am also excited to see Jillian Roberson get back on the horse. Moving right along, UFC veteran Joe Lozon gets the job done against newcomer Jonathan Pierce. Oh, my God, I was so happy about this fight. How would you feel about that, Rory? Yeah, I was uh, pretty happy for him in that fight, too. Um, and I kind of felt like going in, it felt like everything was just working all in his favor for him to have a big moment, and that's what happened. Oh, man, it was perfect. It, it was perfect, and he got that. Jonathan Pierce did not want to lose that fight, so kudos to him for his toughness. But Joe Lozon went in there two or three skill levels ahead of him, and when he had him mounted, and Jonathan Pierce kind of turned over to give to basically get up, he gave his back, Joe Lozon had a half Nelson, and he was taken away a huge portion of Jonathan's base that he needed to complete the turn. And he, his shoulder basically got kind of contorted out of, out of space. And Joe Lozon was just hammering him with these right hands. His eye, Jonathan Pierce's eye swelled up with every shot that Joe Lozon was landing. And the referee literally had no choice but to stop the fight. And honestly, man, if that was the last time that we saw him, that would be the best way to go out. Um, I feel like he's probably going to want to fight again after a performance like that, but you definitely don't want to risk um, that thought in the back of your mind when you think you're at the end of your career and then you get that that last taste of what it felt like maybe five, ten years ago, who knows. That, that, that to me, was um, the right moment for him to, you know, maybe – finish things in the UFC. Obviously you know, we can't yeah, we can't tell fighters when to retire, but yeah. that everything right there was perfect for him to just get sent off and be remembered in the best way possible. 
You know, in, in one way, I agree. I, I agree, but on the other, I'm like, man, I don't think I've ever seen Joe Lozon look that good. He was throwing right hands straight. Joe Lozon was striking straight. I don't think I've ever seen it. Like, I know he's been a mixed martial artist for a long time. He has good striking, but he's never been known for his just straight down the middle strikes. And when he hit uh, Jonathan Pierce with those and he dropped him with that, oh, man, it just it just made my heart so warm. I was very happy with that. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, we got to remember this is still the lightweight division and this is still the first win and maybe since 2017. So, um it, it was a great moment, but let's not let's not get ridiculous because <laughs> Joe Lozon, where he's at, is great. But when we come to continuing on, there's nothing but killers above. And uh, I think this would have been the perfect moment for him to just take his take his last shine and just get on out. I know he likes to coach. I know he's involved in the mm-hmm. in MMA and all kinds of other ways. Mm-hmm. Would have been a great send off. So <clears throat> hopefully the next one he can get that feeling back. Because if not, uh, I'd hate to see him go out on a loss. Because that kind of ruins this entire moment. No, I, I agree. I agree. Um, well, I'm gonna go ahead and let you have the last word on that one. We're gonna put keep it pushing and move on to uh, what should have been our co-main, but it got pushed back. It's Greg Hardy versus Ben Sosaly, which ended in a little bit of a controversy. They had uh, the inhaler gate on MMA Twitter that was trending, and uh, that was due to Greg Hardy using, or he he asked to use uh, an inhaler, and the commissioner went ahead and told him, yeah, that's okay. So Mr. Greg Hardy takes two puffs of his, of his inhaler and proceeds to keep whooping Ben Sosaly's ass. What do you think about this fight? Well, my first statement is uh, he should not be on any co-main event, shouldn't be on any main card, and should barely be in the UFC. So I'll start there. Secondly, as far as inhalers go, um, I'm pretty sure his team is aware of the rules. um, And I'm pretty sure he's aware of the rules. So um, asking a commissioner if you can use an inhaler, I don't know. Uh, compare that to any other sport. What if, uh, what if James Harden was like, "Hey, ref, can I take six steps next time?" And the ref was like, "The ref sure. was like, sure, James. <laughs> I mean, you you can take the six steps, buddy, but you're still gonna get called for a travel because you still traveled. Like, you still traveled. We all know what a travel is, and we know you can't do it. So, just because the ref tells you you can take six steps, that doesn't mean you just get to take six and then drop fifty points, even though he does that anyway." I think this just further kind (laughs) of shows Greg Hardy's immaturity in our sport. Like, sure, he was a pro bowler in NFL, one of the greatest sports in America. But he's very new to the MMA. And with only seven fights under his belt in, like, what, three years? He kind of went and got those fights pretty quickly. I still don't know if he has a full understanding of the culture of MMA. Um, and, and like you said, the rules, the, the in-depth rules. I mean, we, we got to see that in his first fight when he need a guy that was grounded. Just 
completely immature to what the rules are. Um, But as far as his performance this night, I thought he looked pretty good. He was throwing leg kicks. He was utilizing jabs. He wasn't going in in there showing just ruthless aggression like we expected him to to do. Um, If he would have, then maybe he wouldn't have gotten to round three and eaten that in Heller, which eventually cost him to not lose the fight, but I think they are, what, doing it a no contest or a draw? I don't I think it was a no contest, but again... I can't have any sympathy for somebody that trains at American Top Team, the biggest camp in the world with the most prominent coaches that all have been in this business and industry for decades, and they all know the rules. His entire corner, they all know the rules. These are people that have backed Robbie Lawler. These are people that have been in corners with Tyron Woodley. These are people that have been there around since Strikeforce days. Everybody knows what the rules are, so... While Greg Hardy personally might not know the rules, I don't even feel good saying his name. It makes me sick. Um, And as far as any skill that he shows or possesses or flashes in the octagon, I don't care. Um, I don't want to see him fight. Uh, It bothers me watching him fight. Um, I feel you. And that was actually, we posted on on Twitter if anyone had any questions to go ahead and ask us, that was actually one of uh, Atlanta Brown's at Brown Atlanta's question. She asked, what do you think the deal is with Greg Hardy? Does he have friends in the UFC or are they using him as a draw because they know people want to see him get knocked the fuck out? Uh, and I think you, you pretty much answered that with your last statement. Yeah, and I'd also say that I've, I feel like, because um, the UFC is not a company that's out of touch with its consumers, although it still, uh, might feel like that at times, they definitely know that everybody's waiting to see him lose. And so um, while he keeps calling out contenders, they keep giving him people that, um, they keep giving him people that hardcore fans know, but casual mm-hmm. fans don't. Right. And so we know that, some of these people, um, they have built respectable names for themselves, but they also know, like, we can all recognize that maybe that opponent doesn't belong to be in this particular position at this time. Mm. So I, I don't know what they're doing with him, but I, I don't even like talking about him, period, because I don't believe he has um, earned any position that he's had so far as far as card placement goes on any of these things. Gotcha. Well, we're going to go ahead and move on along with that. The co-main event of the night was little heathen Jeremy Stevens versus Yair El Pantera Rodriguez. It lasted three whole rounds. I didn't anticipate that, but it did. And Yair Rodriguez etched out the decision. What did you think about this bout? All right. So you know how earlier how I was talking about Kevin Holland and I said, you know, there's some guys that I don't check for because they just don't have it. But there's some guys that I do check for. Yes. Yair is one of those guys that I check for ever since the beginning of his career. Um, I think he's one of the most dynamic strikers I've ever seen. I think he's one of the most exciting fighters I've ever seen. Um, I think he has. Uh, quirks to his personality that make him pretty interesting whether that be positive or negative 
And um, <laughs> and I know that um, he's one of the few guys that can get these crazy kicks off in tight spaces. Um, I you don't really see a lot of people throwing like question mark kicks and can opener kicks while they're in the pocket exchanging and turning yes. around and throwing spinning back kicks and landing them. Uh, at a high clip too so he's like and he doesn't just throw for flash he's throwing these things as hard as he can so Mm -hmm. it's like he's just like a different kind of guy and i honestly thought he was going to get him out of there pretty early but jeremy stevens is tough he's a veteran and he managed to stick it out yeah no i um i i am conflicted i am a, a big criticizer of Mr. Yair Rodriguez. Um, I I don't like what he's done for his character in the UFC. I do like what he's done as far as his fights in the UFC. Um, he starts off really great. Those first two rounds, you almost, or you almost got to give them to him uh, before they even start, because you know, he's going to come out there with the, with the flashy, with the dynamic striking attempts. And almost put whoever he's standing in front of out. With that being said, I did not like the way he went about this whole Jeremy Stevens eye poke situation. I didn't like how he went about the whole dodging the beat situation. I mean, because that was really supposed to be the matchup, you know, at Featherweight. The beat, Yair. I still want to see it. I ain't forgot. Y'all thought I forgot. I have not. So. <laughs> Until I see that and Yair Rodriguez stops, uh, I don't want to use the word running, maybe let's just say evading these key matchups, then I, I just can't be that much of a fan of the guy. Now, I will say, he did earn a little bit more respect from me on Friday night yesterday when he beat Jeremy Stevens because those first two rounds were extremely impressive. But damn, what happened in the third what happened to his heart? What happened to his cardio? It completely vanished. Uh, I can't say I know what happened to him. Um, I can say he looked very impressive through the first two. Um, I think he did enough to to win. Um, and I think he did everything it took to win impressively. But So did you? what did you score? Or did you score each round? Because I gave Yair Rodriguez... The first two, I gave him 10-9, but then that third round, I gave Jeremy a 10-8. So I actually had to fight a draw. Um, I don't score fights. I can see... Ooh, nah, I mean, I don't know. Pers- nah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't give that. Um, I need to see, like, a significant ass beating. He was... To- I feel like Jeremy Stevens really controlled most of that third round. The second round, I was leaning 10-8 for Yair Rodriguez, but then towards the end, Jeremy Stevens kind of switched the momentum and turned it against him. Yeah, I'm just uh, my 10-8 rules, I guess, are just a little different. I don't know if they fall in line with what the UFC expects a 10-8 to be, but I need to see dominant, dominant, dominant like this guy cannot do anything to get out of here he's barely surviving gotcha all right (laughs) no i just didn't uh, see that for that one yeah no i can respect that also i think yair beats is a beat so 
whenever oh. they want to make whenever they want to make that fight, I'll definitely watch it. Um, oh, did you? Let me ask you this. I don't want to get too off track because I know I've already taken up a lot of my listeners. I usually try to keep these to 20 minutes, and we're probably closer to 30 right now. But I got to ask the question, leading into the Edgar Yair Rodriguez fight, what was your analyst or analysis on that? What were which, you thinking? Which fight? Edgar versus Rodriguez. Mm, I kind of, I don't know. Frankie Edgar is just a different kind of guy, even though I don't really like watching him fight either. Jesus Christ. Um, you just can't say that on my podcast, Rory. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I, I don't watch, I don't like watching Frankie Edgar fight. I never Come have. On, man. I'm not going to pretend like I do. Come on, man. Thing. No, mm-mm. Jesus Christ, um, just shoot me in the head. Yeah, um, yeah, not, I'm not a Frankie Edgar guy, but, um, he did look good in that fight, and he's not a bad fighter, I just, his, his style is not for me, so I don't enjoy watching it, but, um, I don't know. You you thought Yair Rodriguez was gonna beat him leading into that fight? No, 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 I actually didn't, I thought Frankie Edgar was gonna win that fight. Got it. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get this uh, get this podcast wrapped up with the main event. We're going to talk about what happened with Dominic Reyes versus Chris Weidman. Dominic Reyes gets a first round TKO a minute, 43 seconds into the fight. Man, during this whole exchange, Chris Weidman did not actually look that bad, in my opinion. Um, he had some great entries for the takedown. He couldn't get Dominic Reyes down and hold him down like he wanted to, but I felt like his entries were great. What did you think about this ma- this matchup? Well, here's what I'll tell you about Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman did not look bad in the beginning against Reyes. He didn't look bad in the beginning against Jacare. He didn't look bad in the beginning against Gegard or Yoel or Rockhold, mm-hmm. but he lost them all. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the thing with Chris Weidman is I don't know where he belongs right now. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not at light heavyweight. And um, I just don't know. I don't know what, they're, what they should do with him. If he is at light heavyweight, I said on Twitter, maybe somebody like Gokan Saki or something like that. Um, somebody like a striker coming off of a loss that maybe he can get uh, acclimated. Personally, mm. I don't think he has it left in him. But again, yeah. I don't like to call the end of people's careers. But I compared him to David Tyree from the New York Giants when they won the Super Bowl against the Patriots. And it's, I just remember, like, he's a winner and he had a great uh, stint. And it was nice to experience. He beat uh, the GOAT twice. But since then, man, I just, Hmm. it's just all downhill from there. And I don't know what he can do to recover that because he does always look good in the beginning of his fights. But what does that matter if you lose? No, I agree. I agree. Uh, I I have kind of went back and forth on what I believe should happen with Mr. Chris Weidman. And I still think he has fights left in him. I really do. Uh, With that being said, I don't know if the UFC is the best place to have those fights. I am totally on board of this belief that guys who have kind of, 
you know, had their fill with the UFC. You know, they've, they've kind of reached their peak and are on the downslide. I believe that they should totally test the free agency. And, and that includes pro wrestling. Um, I don't know how you feel about pro wrestling, but I love the fact that Kane Velasquez, Ronda Rousey, and the likes can go over there and make some money bags still entertaining people. And he has a legit um, collegiate wrestling background, so the transition, it wouldn't be bad. But for Weidman, I could see him, like, I can already see him fitting in with PFL. Like, he has that style. But as far as UFC goes, the the style that he's trying to implement just doesn't work anymore. He's he's really grappling heavy, and it's, I'm not going to say he's scared to exchange, but he knows what he wants to do. And that's take his opponents down. And that's not really going to do anything for him against these larger, larger guys. Yeah, Chris Wyman is just not versatile or loose enough for me um, to be fighting the highest level guys in the UFC. So uh, I still think that, you know, he's an awesome fighter. I still uh, hold on to the statement that he ruined my entire 2013 year single-handedly that man who i've never met before uh he ruined my whole year so uh kudos to that but uh he he's got to figure something else out because yeah light heavyweight or the top contenders at middleweight it's just not it so um with that being said rory i think we've uh we've done a good chunk of this podcast did you have anything else buddy you want to go ahead and leave the people with your twitter handle one more time uh no guys don't follow me but um <laughs> you can you can definitely go to middleeasy.com and uh you know read read what i write about follow some of the stories that i break or cover um yeah i don't well. re- i don't have anything to sell you guys but if i do i'll be back well i uh i i you know hope to have you here again in the future man i definitely enjoyed this episode i, I hope that The few listeners that do hear this will enjoy it, and uh, we'll sign off with that. And just remember, guys, I'm not a fan of Frankie Edgar. God damn you, Rory!